Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, you know what time it is, don't you? You What's know that? what time it is. I pick think up the I phone, do. Pick up the phone and call me the front of the plane. And you can call <laughs> yourself the front of the plane while you're on because we are all business to begin with. I am never, ever going to get old. All <laughs> sick of that. Anyway, you can find this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a follow, like, share all the stuff you see, and give us any of your favorite stuff from the show. We want to hear from you. You can also follow either of your hosts on Twitter. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. And you can listen along with this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We would love that. It's had us creep into that top 200 every now and then, which is quite nice. We want to see more of that. Our egos are terribly fragile in these socially distance times. So it's always great to see that. You can follow along on Spotify. You can listen and subscribe on Acast. You can listen on Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get them. You can also find us on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. Every Friday, a new episode goes up there and it goes live through Acast. And if you want to leave us a five-star review through Spotify or Apple a podcast uh, leave us a little note it can be naughty it can be nice we don't really care you can be abusive if you want we'll still read you out because we will induct you and your five-star review into the hollywood talk of fame we will have another one of those inductees later on in the episode yes we will and speaking of the hollywood talk of fame as well we will be doing the next batch of three this weekend when they have obviously been announced anyway enough of my yammering let's get to the netflix synopsis shall we and start mm. this episode michael it's season two you know i can't believe this still and we're on episode six it's called higher love princess carolyn sees an opportunity where mr peanut butter's agent dies bojack flips when he says the l word out loud to wanda and I'm not talking Laurie. It's funny you mentioned season two. We are, of course, episode six. This is the halfway house, and yet this features a lot of characters going all in, and not all is oh, in the most pleasant look at way. This. The cold open starts with PB living, which is like a flash of joy before we get to quite a lot of misery in this one. Uh, the accountant is round speaking to Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter. He is looking extremely stressed because they are absolutely pissing money away on bad ideas. But before he can even get out what is apparently some very, very bad news, as we can see through his sweat furnished brow, uh, Todd immediately starts one of this. Has this ever happened to you? And, Nicholas, they've invented a bagel catcher, which is a bagel 
a baseball mitt perfect for catching cooked bagels people throw at you. <laughs> no, this has not ever happened to you. Uh, the uh, accountant just looks more and more stressed. Um, they like he says, no, that's a terrible idea. Have you got any more? You're losing money. Blah blah blah. Uh, they know that they've secured the movie rights to the game Tag which allows for one of the great cutaway gags of the season where the uh, the accountant just like, tag, what are you talking about? Peanut Butter responds, well, our business manager was thrilled. Cut to them meeting with their business manager, Vincent Adultman, who, of course, is a business manager. And why would he not love a schoolyard game of tag being made into a movie? Flashback to the accountant. He confirms it outright. He says, you're bankrupt. Mr. Peanut Butter, you need to get a job. So that becomes a central point in Mr. Peanut Butter's plot point in this episode. Just before we hit the credits, he we see him spend a day in a, a very shady-looking agent's office. I thought this uh, was quite reminiscent of uh, Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman's yep. little place on a strip mall. Nothing of any good repute. You see clients passing throughout the day. They're lapping him effectively. Uh, we see time pass by. He's waited a good 12 hours and still hasn't had it. So at this point, he just goes into the office where his agent should be waiting but he finds the agent hanging. We see this beautifully because it's shot from behind the swinging corpse, I suppose, of the agent as Mr. Peanut Butter surveys the situation and doesn't realise he's passed on until he describes the situation to us, which lets us know that he has passed away mid-masturbation, at which point he says, oh, I see what's happening here. And we hit the credits. Uh, yes, a lot of ups and Ups and downs, as it were. Now. What did you make of that? Indeed. Well, at least he died doing what he loved, Michael. That's the main <laughs> thing. Uh, a hell of a cold open, this one. Um, full of... I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised at this point. Completely ridiculous stupidity from, from Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter that leads to, ultimately, this really dark scene. We uh, we are greeted uh, for the start of the episode proper post-credits by a Ryan Seacrest type and <laughs> some lady who were reporting on the death of uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's agent, as indeed we've confirmed by autoerotic asphyxiation. Uh, they deliver this news and are absolutely pissing themselves laughing. This is your standard American breakfast daytime sort of TV show. It turns out it's playing through Bojack's television. Uh, we hear the remainder of the story. They tail off from the, uh, the, 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 the death and move immediately onto a story about a gravy truck, uh, which does factor into the plot of this episode. Um, but yeah, it's on Bojack's telly, it's in Bojack's house. He's not really paying attention. Uh, he's given Todd some pizza money as if he's his child. He goes and greets Wanda with a warm kiss. Uh, he's bought her a pager so they can keep in touch a little bit more because it obviously reflects the technology that she would be up to date with, considering that she's still mere weeks out of this 30-year coma. It's basically just domestic bliss, uh, which, of course, how would you cap off domestic bliss? He's off out to work. He says, OK, I love you. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Uh, and it is duh, 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 because we get all three of those duhs as every single character reacts with a jaw on the floor, including Todd even sat there observing this as the audience. Shock faces on all three and Bojack responds to all of that in the only way he can by saying, uh, no, I don't. And then he runs out the house. <laughs> He finds himself out the house and he's forgotten his keys, but he can't go back in the house and face up to the consequences of that. So he runs out into the street in front of his house and hijacks a baby stroller in order to get to work. That rolls down the hill that we've seen him struggle to run up before and we hear the noise of it rolling into traffic and causing what appears to be some sort of pileup. He's on his way to work. He said, I love you. He immediately pulled it back and oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God, indeed. He's just gone for it, hasn't he? Completely messed up his day, this. We've gone from domestic bliss to him just absolutely losing it. And once again, Michael, much like his hero secretariat, just running away from his problems. <laughs> you just keep running and you don't look just, back. You do not stop. 
Don't, hey, don't ask questions. Just keep running. <laughs> so he's uh, there's a nice, cute shot where we do actually see the stroller like roll past his trailer to let us know that he has made it to work to establish that. And um, we find Bojack uh, with Diane, of course, on set. Um, she's uh, stealing armloads of food, but a little bit more on that later. But as usual, Bojack is oblivious to anything Diane's doing and just using her as a sounding board, spouting off like 100, wo 100 words a minute. Um, just trying, Bojack asking Diane about the I love you thing. But as usual, he's not really after an answer just this chance to vent he just wants to get out of his system but he's a little bit thrown because it turns out that diane has to have a rant of her own um as we learned and obviously the cold open mr peanut butter needs to get a job he needs money and she's quite stressed about the finances that's why she's stealing the food <laughs> but anyway he ignores diane's call for a bit of help and a bit of attention because he's got a page it's from wanda uh she's put a code in which diane confirms from means call me and he chooses not to, so Diane has helped him. He's still not really helped her, and now he's ignoring Wanda as well. He's being very, very Bojack. He's having a very normal day for Bojack Horseman. Uh, <laughs> the way he decides to get out of this situation is to literally never, ever be done with the working day. Um, he doesn't want to have the difficult conversation at home with Wanda, um, so it cuts to him completely hijacking the scenes on purpose, much as he hijacked that stroller earlier in the episode. He's intentionally getting his lines wrong, and we see the day drawing on, and Kelsey putting her, her hand to her head and just thinking, what is going on here, Bojack? This is so self-absorbed, Hollywood male, very, very Bojack Horseman, and like a nice, bottled Bojack and Diane moment, even though they're currently dealing with entirely different crises. A very quick whistle stop there, isn't it, to the Diane and Bojack story? Like, summed up brilliantly by that interaction, Bojack just completely one-sidedly talking at her because this conversation's not about reciprocation, Michael. It's just <laughs> about Bojack talking himself hoarse. But ultimately, it's just him having another classic Bojack moment, isn't it? He knows when he's around because he loves the sound of his voice. Um, on set as he's trying to delay, um, in a brilliant little moment for uh, at least Kelsey and the crew, they unionised to the goal all the time, which Bojack didn't see coming at all. So in a desperate bid, he offers drinks to the entire cast and crew, which is slightly nervy Corduroy Jackson-Jackson, his co-star that we met earlier in the season, uh, accepts they go to a bar and uh, Corduroy is extremely stressed. Um, it turns out that he used to be quite into the old auto asphyxiation scene. Um, at this point in my notes, I should point out that I had to abbreviate it to AEA because it came up so often. I was yeah. losing like the grip on my own wrist, which you know would be a problem if I was into auto asphyxiation. Uh, he kind of like starts feeling like he's maybe dodged death by all the times that he did it and got away with it. He goes into pretty grim graphic detail about the joy of it. Notice that it's like seeing a rainbow, but you see all the colours to which Bojack kind of glibly responds what you mean, like just seeing an actual rainbow? rainbow? But the way he kind of puts it across, he just says it's beyond any kind of experience, gives details of even how you do it, which Bojack is desperately trying to push away this conversation. Bojack says can we talk about anything else? To which Corduroy says, sure. And nobody says, oh thank God. But Corduroy says, funny you mention God, my new thing is the Bible, at which point Bojack decides that there's nothing worse than talking about religion. And he says, uh, just starts asking him questions again. So tell him more about uh, how you tighten the news and all this sort of thing. He just he would rather have that chat either than talk about the Bible or talk about going home. What did you make of uh, Corduroy's detailed background in this world and Bojack's desperation to just ironically keep the night alive? I'll be honest. Not a character development I was expecting <laughs> the first time I watched this, nor was it probably the fifth or sixth time that I watched it either. 
And yet, here we are. The man was choking for a drink, and it turns out he was also choking for something else in the past. And I just love this. I love how uncomfortable Bojack gets. The man who is literally, he's being put off by someone talking and going into graphic detail about things, and yet he can't see that it's just him doing stuff like that <laughs> in the open, dragging Todd into sex with Sarah Lynn, like all that <laughs> stuff. It's not too much different, but he's very, very uncomfortable yet. And yet, it's that or religion or telling yeah. his girlfriend, his living girlfriend, yeah. that he loves her. Um, no, look, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to have a dig at anybody, but I can understand. I can understand this play. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. The lesser of three evils in this case. He um, <laughs> he sneaks back in, and we see Wanda asleep. He's trying to get himself into bed without waking up, but she's not actually that asleep. She's nocturnal. She's an owl. Nocturnal. She just immediately turns around and says, "It's fine." You don't love me. I don't love you. And he does not like that. He kind of delivers a very pained sigh and stares up to the ceiling. Um, more a little bit on that later, because the next morning we are back in the same sort of domestic bliss situation. But obviously things have got a little bit worse. The day starts again with a Ryan Seacrest type and some lady. That some lady is such a great popper. Some lady. <laughs> are, Ryan Seacrest type and some lady are interviewing Hank Hippopopoulos about his show. Hey, I think you can dance, which is obviously a parody of all those singing and dancing talent shows. Um, again, we cut away from the telly. We're back in Bojack's house. The same sort of setup again. Todd sat on the sofa. Wanda's in the kitchen getting ready to go to work. What we are seeing is that this is a life where people say they love you, where people go off to work, where people do the same thing day after day after day. Um, but he is no longer full of the bliss that he might have had yesterday off the back of the fact that she has dared to say to him, well, I don't love you. All of a sudden, this has flipped entirely for him. Just because he thought he'd given away an emotion, he's quite angry that he hasn't been given one back because Wanda is so honest and in touch with herself and knows how to deal with this adult conversation. In a great moment, spotting that there's a tension between the two, Todd, playing the child in the setup, just tries to stop them rowing by saying, I love you both. So Bojack shoves his nachos with dip clean in his face with no other way to act, which I thought was a great callback to last week when he was in the middle of like trying to say shut up to Princess Carly and says, so shut up, Todd. He's always <laughs> this like this always abuse victim that he can rely on, a, a punching bag for him, as it were. Um so Bojack, back, Bojack, off the back of this, very dissatisfied back at work, um, finds a, a visitor in Corduroy uh, Jackson Jackson back at his trailer and he gives him a box uh, to which Bojack goes, Whoa, is this your Bible? And Corduroy replies, oh no, it's just my choking off kit. Uh, so he's given him the box, which he opens up in quite like a, ironically, in quite a religious fashion. Um, there's ball gags. There's a noose, well, or sort of like various like things that he can choke himself with. There's a lemon because he's explained earlier in the in the episode that like if you take a hit on a lemon at the same time, it, it increases the hit. Um, we are all learning as we watch this episode, <laughs> or maybe some of us aren't. You know, I'm not here to kink shame. Um, but he wants rid of it for the good of his health, and more importantly, his relationship. His girlfriend has said that she will leave him. She's very very worried about his health. Um, and without that, obviously, maybe he can't get up to the act. Bojack does not. Why can't you use anything like a belt or a rope? And then Conroy Jackson says, oh, yeah. And then just disappears out the scene, uh, just listing things like iPhone chargers, headphone wires, all the sort of things to do with it. Um, I wonder if that will matter later on. Um, but off the back of having this conversation where he's realised that Corduroy's girlfriend doesn't like that activity, he thinks that's the best way to <laughs> get Wanda back on side with him. Uh, he tells her quite sternly when she arrives home after work that uh, he wants to auto-write asphyxiate himself and she calls this bluff because he's an absolutely awful bluffer and just leaves him to it and disappears out of shot. Again, 
a lot to digest here about how Bojack interacts with people, about poor old Corduroy Jackson Jackson, uh, and about Wanda, who continues to be great and bring some sort of reality into Bojack's very kind of fake and forced Hollywood life. Only Bojack could take Corduroy Jackson's sort of uh, opening up about the situation that he's in, and ultimately, Jack, strange scenarios, I say strange, uh, kinks aside, shall we say, Michael, He's opened up to him because he's feeling like he's having a bit of a life-altering moment, isn't he? He's worried yeah. about himself. So he's coming to Bojack for help. Only Bojack can turn that into, yes, how I solve my own personal problems. <laughs> <laughs> also, it has just popped into my head right now, and I'm going to say this before I forget it. Is he called Corduroy Jackson Jackson because of jacking off? Oh, well, now you say he is. Like, oh, my word. Oh, I've never thought about that before. I've anyway, as you were, back to the plot. <laughs> And those, as this is obviously only an audio medium, will never know the action that Nicholas did in order to get that across to me on this <laughs> Skype call. Anyway, we go back to the third day again, the same setup of the shot. It's uh, it's mid-morning time Hollywood with a Ryan Seacrest type, and, and she's keen as this, an actress or something, I don't know, because, and this is even better, some lady got kidnapped. Yet again, they pissed themselves laughing at this. The laughter, piece. the laughter at this bit, man. Like... They just he goes. I'm sure he goes. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to take a minute on this because these gags were really funny. It was a perfect way to set up um, these like identical shots of Bojack starting another day. Which again, often what Bojack does is it steals from the medium that it absolutely eviscerates. Which in this case is the three camera sitcom. How often have we seen that device used where a day starts the same way? All the same physical markers and all that thing. In in a in a rubbish sitcom, it'd be a character. Yawning in their pajamas, but they've found a perfect way to parody it. But again, a Ryan Seacrest type and some lady, or in this case, an actress or something, I don't know, they're always cast as just some of the grimmest personalities. Like, if those are the people coming into your living room every morning in Hollywood, it's no wonder you're going to drown in the tar because they're toxic individuals. And that is made perfectly clear by them laughing at death and kidnapping because there's things like a gravy truck to talk about instead, for example. Not just any death, though, Michael. Uh, or kidnapping, it's the death or kidnapping of a woman. So, of course, they're just like, ah, oh, well, <laughs> next, because that's, <laughs> oh, Hollywood for you. that's Hollywood for you, and none of it is serious in their eyes. You say nothing serious, but Wanda and Bojack uh, wish each other well for the day, and Wanda notes that Bojack hopes she has a, a nice time and is dangerous liaison with himself, but Todd, having not managed to get them back on side by telling them that he loves them yesterday, decides to bollock them both, which Wanda this time completely no-sells, again reducing Todd's worth in that scene. Bojack will have none of it, says, Todd, get in the car, it's time to get serious about autoerotic asphyxiation, leading to one of the great moments that would become legendary within the Bojack meme circle, hooray! question mark, which again is a, a shot and a moment that has indeed lingered all the way through Bojack's rich history. Uh, they go to a hardware store to buy stuff for the contraption for his autoerotic asphyxiation. Bojack wants to keep it under wraps while they're buying all the things, but then in explaining what he needs to the member of staff there, uh, just very, very viscerally describes a horse, uh, something the weight of a horse hanging himself up by the neck, but still being available to reach his genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this, look, this is the, I don't even want to say this is the gag and the drag, because this is the dark in the dark comedy that like kind of underpins this whole episode. I just like how we, when he first goes in, he says to Todd how he doesn't, wants to be like, 
subtle about this. <laughs> and before they've even really got in the store, they've met the, the clerk almost immediately. And he's just gone from trying to be subtle to just be like, yeah, something like lift the horse, basically. Just, <laughs> I, 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 I want to do this to myself. Well, yeah, I should point out, which we will get to, of course, there are other things happening in this episode which allow for passage of time in Bojack's life, which takes us to later on that night uh, where we find ourselves in Bojack's room and he has built an insane autoerotic asphyxiation contraption. It's a machine. It's some sort of like dark art Meccano. There are girders, there are wood frames, there are things hanging down. Like, I don't know, it's like... It's it's a gross soft play thing hanging over his bed, but it looks like it'll function quite successfully anyway. Um, he attempts to go through with the act of auto-asphyxiation. He finds himself choking and strangling. Um, to which Wanda finally replies, "Fine, you stupid baby. I love you." Um, I should note at this point that they've said that they need to address the elephant in the room, at which point the elephant, fitting the equipment, looks livid, looks really offended. It says, "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" Storms out in a huff for like. Just that, like, that nice extra gag before we get to the very serious matter of choking yourself during masturbation and saying, I love you. Um, but the point about her saying, I love you, before he literally kills himself in front of her, is that she's not going to stop him going through with the act. The whole point of what she was trying to get across that he wasn't picking up at all was just that he needs to be responsible for himself and his own decisions. Um, and she notes correctly, much as Cordwell Jackson Jackson's girlfriend did, that if you love me too, you just won't do it. And again, it all goes clear for Bojack in the moment because like the jokes that he tells, he basically needs the people in his life to be like, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? And finally he gets it. You um, stupid, stupid horse. Even as she leaves the room, he's in this comedic denial. I think Will Arnett channels a little bit of Job here. He says, yeah. I don't love you. You don't make me feel less broken, which is a, like, it's a Bojack <laughs> line and a half, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he's very, very content anyway. Um, he wants kind of rid of this little chapter of his life. This is that nice 25-minute sitcom wrap-up scene where all he has to do is give back the choking off kit to Corduroy, and this episode is wrapped in a nice bow. Uh, you could say it's tied in a nice tied knot. Unfortunately, Nicholas, that knot is tied around the neck of Corduroy Jackson Jackson's door as Bojack finds him hanging by his belt, dead, naked, lemon in hand, at which point, when staring at the deceased Cordoba Jackson-Jackson, Bojack finally engaged with religion by going, oh, sweet Jesus. And scene. Oh, do you know what it is? It's such a shame that he's five knuckles shuffled off this mortal coil, Michael. <laughs> now, before a little bit of inside the actor's studio, before we recorded, we always go over a few little bits. And it was, it's always tricky because we don't like to discuss the thing that we think we saw. Um, that we want to bring up in case the other one hasn't. And it's just a nice surprise. And it's a nice thing to react yeah. to and it feels organic. But I sense we both saw this for the first time. Bojack is the reason that Corduroy Jackson Jackson is dead because Corduroy believed he needed his kit in order to choke off. And Bojack has given him lots of other tools with which to do it. Like I was going to do, try and do this in a much more sensationalist way of just basically saying Bojack killed Corduroy, Corduroy, Jack <laughs> Corduroy Jackson Jackson because... It was the first time I've noticed this. This was the first time I've clocked it, and I was like, he literally tells him that he can do it with anything else, which ultimately results in the death of Jackson Jackson. Uh, and a loaded gun, hasn't he? He has, and it's it, like it's such a throwaway thing as well. That's a, that's a big deal. Bojack Horseman, whether he means to or not, is poison. He's, it's a lot to it. Uh, like, right after 
he's told the love of his life, you make me feel less broken. Yeah. He, go, he goes into work and finds himself like indirectly responsible for the death of a colleague. That's just a day in Bojack yeah. Horseman's horrendous life. Um, we should, and it would be rude not to talk about the other um, stars and celebrities of Hollywood in this one. A bit more on that later. So let's talk about mm. Princess Carolyn. It's quite a big episode for her. Um, she featured hardly at all in the last episode, but when she did, it was because she was doing work while still at a wedding. She featured only through other characters ringing her up while she was in the middle of very important bits of a friend's wedding. Um, so this week we find her again, back nose to the grindstone. She's having a very bad day. Um, she misses a lift. She's lost a shoe. She's got something spilt on her dress. It just She looks like visually like she's having one of them days. We've all seen it in various films and their sitcoms. She misses the elevator, traps her top in it in the process, but it's okay because her colleague, who she has that flirtatious relationship with, Rudy Baker, turns up, gets the jacket out, gives her a coffee. She explains a bad day to him, including the stain, which is actually a gravy truck that we heard about, obviously, through Bojack's telly. She bought the gravy, but it turns out yeah, she you, they don't sell balls. So which Rudy Baker notes, ah, oh, where you went wrong was you should have gone to the ball truck first, which makes you visualise the idea that they have just thrown gravy at her, hot gravy at her dress. Um, yeah, hang on, Megan. Let's be honest. She says she did get a handful of it, so she's obviously just poured <laughs> it into a pause as she's gone to put it. It must have been boiling hot as well, but I guess that's besides the point. Totally on her that she didn't go to the ball truck. Totally on her. That's um, where they get you. <laughs> yeah, he perks her up. The flirt. He again quite purposefully undermines his relationship with Katie, his wife. Talks about how bored he is. They're picking paint colours, and he compares the shade of red to the shade of blood because he just wants to kill himself when he's around her. Ha 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 ha! But this is quite serious. Um, it's a laughter that feels resigned to the fact that he's unhappy with Katie and would feels like he wants to tell Princess Carolyn that he would be better off with her. It's all in the subtext until it becomes very much not. Um, we see Princess Carolyn move on to attending a meeting later on with her boss and various other sort of heads of department. Um, they're all contacting Ronnie Benito. I should have mentioned that in the, the peanut butter. That's peanut butter's agent, now deceased. And they're all contacting Ronnie Benito's clients at the same time as mourning his death. They're all on their phones sending their best wishes while trying to steal their details. Um, Princess Carolyn snaps into action as a super agent, but unfortunately for her, it's too late. Mr. Witherspoon only gives her one leftover client, and that client is Mr. Peanut Butter. And um, we do know that he needs a job, so maybe that'll work out for a little bit later on. Um, Ruda Baker is talking work with her while she continues to be stressed and feel like nothing is going away. Um, while noting, and this is again another like tragic moment in there, what feels like a doomed relationship with Katie, his wife. He says, uh, yeah, I was thinking about you uh, during a conversation I was having with Katie. He then turns it to say that he was thinking about Princess Carolyn's work issues, but he's let that line linger. Um, and he kind of like remembers, but doesn't really remember, almost as if he always had this one in his locker, that he happens to have an in with the J.D. Salinger, who is actually alive and in Hollywood working in a bike shop. This is a, a golden goose, a key to the city for Princess Carolyn uh, to get out of the slump that she's in. She tracks uh, J.D. Salinger down to this bike shop where he seems to have a line in selling tandems, but talks exclusively about only being alone. So that too is doomed to failure. Um, she admits she only knows catch her in the rye like everybody else. He seems relatively at ease with that. Um, he's not into it at first, the idea of becoming sort of somebody that would have a Hollywood agent. And then in a moment, which... If you're anything like me, Nicholas, hit quite hard. She kind of just, relates. Just, Go on. just before you do this, I will back you up before you go into this because Christ on a bike, this was, <laughs> this was such a good, like, they used this opportunity to really hit home some stuff from Hollywood and Hollywood, of course. And, oh, 
it, this was mammoth for me. This was really good. So J.D. Salinger is obviously, of course, a very famous author with a very important text. But, and that's where his concerns lie, but she goes into a lot of detail about how everything is sterile, everything is fake, and your words won't matter once you're there through the door. Starting her big pitch off, and I didn't quote the whole thing because at this point I was crying on my notepad about like having to face <laughs> the reality of the situation. She simply said, no, this is a place where people only read headlines, lists, and pictures. And um, thank God they do. And anyway, she said, uh, let's go to Hollywood. <laughs> what do we mean? More, I think it was more... The for me, the incredible, she also adapts on that. She says something, obviously, I, I didn't quote it down myself either. She says something along the lines of how, what if I told you there was a place where, obviously, people only read lists, et cetera, et cetera, as you said there. But ultimately, the gist, of the vibe that she gives off is that people don't care about any of that and that there are some people who are dreaming of writing these things that nobody will want to read, but ultimately, they can't get that job. So what they do instead is help people like him to write lists. And it's this horrible crush. Go If anybody's listening and watching the episode, go back and re-listen to this speech from Carolyn. It is a mammoth powerhouse, just complete summary of all that is wrong. And this is obviously before the Me Too movement as well. Like So not this, obviously, this applies across the board, but this is a mammoth, mammoth statement on Hollywood and how completely reductive it is and how one-sided and flawed it is. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. As if that wasn't sort of made clear by J.D. Salinger working as a recruit in, like, as a reclusive figure yeah. in the bike shop. Um, Princess Carolyn is still really good at her job in spite of all these factors. She's taken J.D. Salinger to meet with a TV executive, and that just happens to be Wanda, which is quite ideal for all of them involved. Uh, she tees up and doesn't really need to. It's one of them situations where it's like, well, I don't need to give this guy an introduction. It's J.D. Salinger. Wanda is absolutely thrilled because she didn't know he was dead. Then she did know he was dead. And now he finds himself alive at her desk. It's been a big three, big three seconds for Wanda there. But uh, uh, Princess Carolyn hasn't done is ask what he'd actually want to do, assuming that he's going to have the million-dollar idea from that million-dollar mind. He replies with, I want to do a show where people ask celebrities trivia questions. I think normal people would want to see if they know trivia and stuff. Like... Hollywood, stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Wanda <laughs> loves it. Princess Carolyn, up to this point, is scowling as only a cat can at J.D. Salinger for what the hell he's doing. Wanda absolutely loves it. Loves that as a name. Let me reiterate that. Hollywood, stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. <laughs> she says she, she, she can see it as a billboard and thinks it's a perfect companion for, hey, I think you can dance. Which, of course... <laughs> Ties in why we saw Hank Hippopolis with uh, some lady and a Ryan Seacrest type earlier on. Uh, we cut to uh, Mr. Witherspoon celebrating what we assume is obviously the signing of J.D. Salinger to his ranks of clients. Uh, all the staff are crowded around. Princess Carolyn's ready to kind of take a bit of a lap on her it. But no, oh. he says, I think you all know why we're here. One hint. Catcher and Rye. And right as Princess Carolyn steps forward to take the plaudits, he says... Charlie Weatherspoon caught a rye bagel coming out of the toaster. <laughs> Which, again, stupid men have come up with a stupid idea. Stupider men have had the need for the idea. Which, of course, Charlie Weatherspoon is Mr. Weatherspoon's son. <laughs> he responds, one day, some genius will invent a bagel catcher. Oh, man. And Princess Carolyn's incredible achievement is brushed over. because, And they are frogs, so I can say this. Men are goddamn slime. <laughs> Honestly, man, this and I think the, the 
it was probably the second time round when I watched this, when I was like, I'm so angry <laughs> that I didn't see this coming, right? Because they've decided for what I'm trying to figure out which point it's come. What came first, the bagel or the salinger? Like, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> because ultimately they've got the point where they're gonna bring JD Salinger back, who was brilliantly voiced by Alan Arkin. I should point out, need to give him a shout out. Um, but they've obviously went. Catch you in the rye. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, literally? Like, what does what that mean? How can we turn that into a gag? And someone's went, what if? Yeah, me <laughs> out. Because someone, Michael Hampler, in that office where they make these, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, in the environment, someone is Todd in that office. Someone yeah. is saying, what kind of stupid idea can I come up with to suggest that Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter came up with it? So someone is in there having to come up with these ideas, and I would love to know who it is. Do you think it's like there is a character that just like gets the writer's room attention and say like, oh, J.D. Sander, J.D. Sander, has this ever happened to you? When you first heard Catcher in the Ride, do you think it was about like a guy with a baseball mitt trying to catch a bagel? And they've all gone, no. And no. then they thought, well, that's going in the show. Yeah, <laughs> and some, some Netflix executive has come in to tell them that the accountants are going mad because they're not getting <laughs> any work done. And all they're doing, he's like, yeah, but we've got this great idea about a gag. A throwaway gag in this episode about bagels and uh, catcher mitts. It's brilliant, multi-layered joke writing this because, of course, it's yeah. an unbelievable gag. It's a fantastic callback to the cold open. It's also deeply sad for Princess Carolyn, so you're left to absorb the emotions of her rejection while, like, popping your tits off at another brilliant bit of Bojack's comedy writing. It is all things to all people and, indeed, animals. Um, we find Princess Carolyn back where we've seen her before, unfortunately, in that familiar place, at her window, still working when it's very late at night. She's furious that she's had no respect for the like the amazing job she's done. Let's not understate this. She's found him. She's tracked Ruby Baker, gave her the lead. She's tracked him down. She's got him signed. In the course of a day, she's taken a dead author and got him a primetime Hollywood show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruby Baker's on the phone to her and gives her their movie speech, which is a little thing that they have between them, which equates to basically her. And like this, again, like it's quite true, but not in a good way. This is true to what movies do but it's not true to how real life should be. Um, he kind of, it's a tee up speech that they've used on each other before, um, which basically equates to the idea that you've got to put up with the BS now because otherwise it won't be rewarding in the end, which is that nasty kind of toxic thing where you're told like the justification of bad behavior, basically like, oh, well, you, ha- you know, you have to appreciate like the good stuff at the end. You have to have gone through the bad times. That's not necessarily true, but it's just a way sometimes to talk your way through all the hard times. Um, as he puts it to her, uh, there are assholes, but this movie's not about them. It's about you. All this time, the movie's been about you. She says, thanks. She's staring in the mirror. She really is isolated in herself at the moment. And then uh, he says, Carolyn? Yes, Rudebaker? I think Katie and I are getting a divorce. And that is where their scene, their story in this episode has left a really, um, I don't know, like a really sort of powerful like romantic drama scene between these two characters that we've seen a relationship building between. But in a way, the first time Ruda Baker has been truly honest with Princess Carolyn because all the negging of his wife and all the, like the misery that he shares about his personal life is done in that flirtatious way. It's a sleazy way he's doing it, isn't it? Yeah. This is more of actually, this is kind of more of a, an earnest play for her because he's letting her know what's in his near future. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. They do this so well as well with the fact that they've got their the glass windows that they both stand by in their offices, you know, that usually we've got them in what culture, the big yeah. open glass windows, they're both standing out looking into the city, but the way they shoot this, shoot this, you know what I mean? The way this is set up is they're both, we see them from the front, both staring out the windows, one on top of the other. And it's just such a perfect visual for it because it gives you the little PI in the both worlds that you see. And mm. like Princess Carolyn should be on top of the world, but she's not. And then you get Ruda Bega finally opening up about this thing where we finally get the end of the hints that he and his wife are going to get a divorce. And it's quite interesting as well that even in the scene where she's turned to him for this little thing they have to pep each other up when times are hard, a split second after he gives her that, he puts something far bigger on her shoulders to cope with. So he's given her a second of relief that's just about her and then all of a sudden yet again the woman is required to do the heavy lifting in a relationship between the male and the female and you know i think that's some parallels here that uh like bojack's behavior with corduroy like the two relationships where mm. it's it's rutabaga might sound like he's quote-unquote helping carolyn and he does i guess to a certain extent gives all the jd sander stuff but there's a agenda for each and everything he does he doesn't yeah. do it as a goodwill thing he does it because he wants a receipt. You know what I mean? He helps her out. And every time he does, every time he mentions something to do with him, it's always tied into trying to give her a hint or yeah. things like that. We get this image immediately that while he might be going through this really difficult time, potentially, Ruda guy is not necessarily someone we should trust at this point because he has, well, he's slightly better at hiding it because he's a bit of a sleaze than Bojack is, but this is, the guy's out for himself. Yeah, it's really clever, actually. Again, we talk about this sometimes, how it's sometimes harder to express things in animation than it would be in real life. So you've got to do it through the script. And what they've been really clear to do with Rudabaker is never make this feel like a meet-cute. You're yeah. never particularly rooting for their relationship. You can see why the chemistry exists. You can see why they've got like lots of shared stories and shared life together. They've been sharing that carpet. You know, uh, We've seen plenty of workplace relationships and likes of the office as sort of like inspiration for how these things grow. And yet... It's not ever, these are no Jim and Pam. These are no Tim and mm. Dawn. That's not 
whatever the tact you're supposed to take with these two star-crossed characters that will one day come together. And I think the scripting of Rudebaker is how they quite like elegantly get that across. They do. And I think if you're not paying attention, you might come across and think, oh, he's quite a nice guy, him. Mm. But he's doing a lot of... I think, you you know, there's double speaking there to a certain extent, maybe because he's like helping out, but also everything has an agenda. There's an yeah. end game. And you feel that if you're paying attention, you'll see that everything is ultimately to fulfil his own personal needs. From the emotional strangulation of Princess Carolyn's plot to the physical strangulation in Bojack's to Mr Peanut Butter grabbing the rest of the world by the scruff of the neck. The last place we saw him was, of course, in the office of his now dead agent. He needs a job. He hasn't even got an agent to help him get a job. So being very Mr Peanut Butter about it, his plot involves him literally leaving the house to find an opportunity. Diane is incredibly stressed about this, as we've referred to her, stealing food from the uh, the film set because he just does not seem to be taken seriously. We see him getting all suited up in the house in the morning. She kind of like nervously asks if he's actually going to try and get a job. And then she just says, right, he's about to go. You know, we could lose the house, right? And his response is, Diane, 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 Diane. And then we hear the door lock and he's gone. Six Dianes, and he's out of there. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter is hitting the pavement full of beans, full of confidence, assuming that something destiny will come his way, will help him. He breezes past actual opportunities. There is a note on the board that is requesting acting calls for 90s sitcom actors to the point where it, we see it like on a lamppost. He's walking along the street. It blows off the lamppost and into his face, which he pushes out the way. It sticks itself to his leg, which he then has to kick out the way and says, why do you have to be in my way, Flyer, in front of this store? And then he looks up. Shoe store? Shoe store! And the shoe store is his light bulb moment when he seems that they're looking for team players, which he believes himself to be one. Um, he goes and gets a job at a lady footlocker. He's a shoe salesman in the way that you would see maybe like a presenter of a fashion game show where he's like whipping everybody up into a frenzy. He's throwing trainers, throwing shoes. He's going down really well. And it's when Princess Carolyn goes in to get her heel replaced in the shop that she sees him in action and realizes kind of, again, a nice little arrested element of it. Oh, that's a freebie. Like mm. she can use her one remaining client, Mr. Peanut Butter, to line him up for this game show. Everything's come together quite nicely for Princess Carolyn. But again, as usual, everything's come together really well for Peanut Butter. He's gone from being hours out of work and then getting a job at Lady Footlocker into getting the hosting job on a primetime game show as pitched by J.D. Salinger. This is, again, kind of like season one opposites between Peanut Butter and Bojack. He walks out the world, wants to give him a chance, wants to give him a job. And Peanut Butter... <laughs> sums this up quite brilliantly and how he sees the world because if he didn't he would probably end up as well hanging from a light bulb he says with the right attitude every single one of your dreams will come true and if they don't it's probably because you just didn't have the right attitude <laughs> the dog does not know that he is born um and that really is that but the joining up of those three plots as we were obviously reviewing those was one of the better ones for me in uh this was not Todd and Peanut Butter on a Wacky Adventure. This was not the sort of the misadventures of uh, Princess Carolyn in work or the ongoing various crisis situation that Bojack might find himself in. This was ultimately one big story about feeling strangled, um, just told three separate ways. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that's exactly what they've done, yeah. Another rule of three. Interesting mm. that. The strangled, literal, 
they're strangled by other people and they're strangled by each other. That's, uh, you're quite good at this, you aren't you? Yeah, they're, they're not bad. Well, like, like we said on the on the season finale of podcast, Austin, when we get RBW one, we'll get that can be one of the things we get them to confirm. That was what they were going for. Listen, I hope you've been writing all these down because I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but what I have been writing down, Michael, is all of the things that you didn't have to deal with in the plot because mm-hmm. it is time for the segment of the show we call Horsing Around, where we go back to the episode and find all of the hidden meanings and small details and Easter eggs and things you might have missed. And oh my God, oh my God. I know that's probably been longer once. This feels like the most I've done in an episode <laughs> because it, it feels like they've spent a lot of time on this one. So I'm going to try my best to go through these as quick as possible. I say that I am full of shit because... There's no way that I'm going to be able to go through these quickly. So let's just give it a try anyway and see what happens. We go back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house to start this things off. Um, Just a quick note here that I've got is that the accountant, who is their accountant, is obviously voiced by Jake Johnson of New Girl fame, and he's brilliant, and it's wonderful. Just You can hear the, the noise of Jake's desperation coming through. But he sounds a lot more intelligent, which is quite nice. He's so uh, anxious. And, he is. Like, yeah. uh, it's it's um, notable. It's, uh, it's, it's great as well if you can picture his face, I find. There's, yeah. there's Jake Johnson and Charlie Day. They've both got that certain yeah. delivery, and I think it's perfectly applied to this, yeah. Then we also get from that, we get a poster that they reveal. As you mentioned, they sold the rights to a bunch of kindergartners for 50k, Michael, as we find <laughs> out from their accountant. But they did get this wonderful poster for Tag the Movie, in which the... <laughs> <laughs> the tagline for the film tag is in a world full of people running away one man is it <laughs> <laughs> which is just fantastic and then the triple threat finish that we get yeah is the Jake the Jake not Jake I'm going to call him Jake the accountant's now called Jake for, for these purposes okay. he says to Mr. Peanut Butter Anton this company is more in the red than carry on prom night <laughs> which is obviously a brilliant, brilliant throwback to Carrie, of course, for anybody who's seen the film. We go to, in the middle of this, I have separated this off, but and Michael, there's a little nod in uh, Vincent Adultman's office. Mm-hmm. We get uh, cut there quickly while they're in the middle of this conversation because he is, of course, their business manager. On the wall, for anybody who was paying attention, maybe, they all have seen a picture of a man in a funny wig, and that man is, in fact, Adam Smith, the father of economics, who was on the wall... Ah. Like, it's the guy who obviously came up with economics and the, the whole system. Of course, he's in the office of Vincent Adultman, who is a businessman, but he probably <laughs> has absolutely no idea who it is, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, we go to Benito Talent, which is obviously where Mr. Butter's agent is. Interesting little thing I found here. Benito translates to pretty, so that's pretty talent, which is mm-hmm. something that sounds very Hollywood, isn't it? Um, but in the sign in the window, it says, come here if you're actors, models, stunt doubles, or just wannabes. <laughs> 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 which to be fair we've heard two shows in this see in this episode alone that would like foster those which people completely tick that box and uh, the other store next to it is called mancia's money loans and in the window below that it says se habla inglés which says you speak english <laughs> <laughs> brilliant stuff um we go oh by the way there's a, there's a number plate there as well i didn't figure out what it was but the number plate is 23 pin ST. So if anybody has any ideas with that one, at Podcast Horseman for yes. that. Inside Benito Talent, uh, we get a few in- interesting things. In the waiting room, Mr. Peanut Butter is a flamingo who's standing there waiting. But as he stands, he's standing like a flamingo. It's a flamingo person, but he's got one leg touching the other in the 
sort of right angle point. You know the look that the Flamingo yeah. stands. Uh, inside Bonito's office, he's got a bunch of books, Michael. Some of these cleverly titled and one that I've taken out of the order that it's actually on screen because I'll save it for last. We get one that's volume seven, Dickens. We get one that's the collected works of Balzac. Yeah. <laughs> Great expectations. And we also get The Sun Also Rises. But wedged in between all of those is a book that is just called Butts. And it's by <laughs> Hannah Walt, which is, of oh, course, Lisa Hannah Walt, who managed like, to squeeze a book about butts. In, in an episode, obviously, where the cat in the rye is crucially important and they've done all these like American classics, yeah. butts. Picked all on butts, just right in the middle there. <laughs> could be cat in the rye. Brilliant. <laughs> Also, nice little tidbit, on the wall of uh, Bonito is a painting of lemons, Michael, which at the time probably ah. makes no sense to anybody. But as we all know, it's the one thing that can bring you back from the edge <laughs> of erotic asphyxiation. And on top of that, he was reading the magazine called Hot Chicks, Chicks with Three X's, and a picture of a chick on the front as the tagline reads, more foul, less feather. <laughs> no, like, I saw that at the start of the episode. We cannot like lose another podcast to chickens. No, we can't. Chickens have had their day for now. I'm <laughs> sure they'll be back, but not right now. <laughs> uh, back to Bojack's house. Uh, interesting, this one. I've read a little bit of this one. You can tell me what you think. Wanda complains about the bed, how it's a bit it's unsettled again. And Bojack mm. says, I propped it up with a golden globe, he says. Now, last ah. time he propped it up with the book Secretariat in season one. In this season, he's propping it up with the Golden Globe that he won. Is that a metaphor for Bojack's whole life? I propped it up with a Golden Globe. I that feel like there's exactly, something in there. That isn't like the bed. That the bed he wakes up in at the start of every single episode in the credits. He's just using one thing at a time. One yeah. goal that he thought he wanted, that he thought he needed, that ultimately didn't do it. It's propping up everything else. I yeah. am intrigued to see if this continues with other things. I can't remember, mm. but I'll keep an eye on that. And the pager brand of the pager that Bojack buys himself for Wanda is, of course, Motorola, um, <laughs> with a picture of a cow instead of, of course, Motorola, which it normally would be. I've just got here because the man who is incredible at physical gags in this show, a show that is animated, when Todd, when all of the mouths drop open and Todd's mouth drops open and the food <laughs> comes out of it, it is, it is four on the floor funny. It's so, so good. Just couldn't get enough of that, so I'll have to be noted. What is it about what you're right, you know, you've hit something yeah. there. What is it about Todd feeling like so real? Like it's it's not Todd, is it? It's Aaron Paul. It's like Aaron Paul. That body on the grass in season one, yeah. the nachos going in his face yeah. in this episode. Everything. Michael, this one is one of the brilliant little things from this episode. As you remember, as Bojack goes running out of the house, he um takes a, the baby out of the pram and gives it to the woman and then jumps to the pram and flees off, doesn't he? Rushes away. <laughs> And he's scared of commitment again, isn't he? That's yes. something he's terrified of. If you go back to episode one in season one, you will remember that Princess Carolyn and Bojack having a conversation where he says, they, go, they get talking about children. And he says, whatever gave you the impression I didn't want children? She said, well, you know, it was a subtext. At which point we get a cutaway gag where Bojack and Carolyn are on the street. She mentions babies. And what does Bojack do? He runs away. Do you remember? On the street. And there's a yeah. woman. And when that happens, there's a woman with a baby in a pram, Michael, and it is the exact same oh, woman my with word. the baby in the pram. Only, of course, the baby is now a little bit older, and yeah. the baby has more hair on its head and is obviously a little bit older, but not too much because he's still in the pram. So, I'm, yeah, clapping, just thought, I'm clapping the graft of that and the craft of you finding it. That is excellent. Stunning. Excellent. Absolutely stunning. 
And I've written there, the mention of the, the gravy truck obviously will come into play later on in this episode, but more on that in just a second. We go to Vigor offices, um, or Vigor offices, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> a bit of a change. Um, there's a lot going on here, but here's some weird gags. And when I told you these are in-depth, I meant it. Uh, there's a horse in the lift, which Princess Carolyn is trying to get to. There's a bunch of people in there. But there's a horse with a sweater vest on that says Ben Chunch has been knitted into the vest, right? You won't know what that is because I don't know what it is. Nobody knows what it is unless they are one of Martha Stewart's fans who will know that this is the name of Martha Stewart's pony, Michael Hamflit, right? A pony who I only know about because Lisa Hannawalt herself is a huge fan and has tweeted about it on Twitter. My brain is exploded. Wow. Martha yes. Stewart, the kind of like the domestic goddess, the Indeed. kind of... A person that would like knit like that would narrate a life that Bojack was trying to live. Wow, this this show, man, this You've show. You've got no idea. This whole episode is full of these, and it took me ages. Um, <laughs> the same horse is on his phone. We get a shot on his phone, and flicking through it, he's on he's on Buzzfeed, Michael, right. and he's just looking through a list of stuff to do with horses. He's looking at a picture of an apple, and then next thing you know, he's flicked along and he's looking at a bale of hay because he's just going through a generic list of horse stuff, I guess. You know, people don't read those things. And let me tell you, oh. I think they should, because you never know who they might some really great content hey, in them lists. There's, some, there's a lot of uh, money to be made in lists, I <laughs> There's also, this is nothing I managed to dive any deeper into than just what's in the paper. This is a great picture of a duck with some sunglasses and an afro. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And one last little thing from the lift situation here. We see a bunch of people waiting for the lift who entertainingly press the button while they're waiting for it. It's a person, then it's a lizard's tongue, and then it's a lobster claw that presses it all in the background <laughs> while Rudabega and Carolyn are talking. But as we get the zoom back and we see all these people, it's a person, a lobster, and a lizard. And the lizard is one of the dates from the Bojack has in episode two when we get that montage oh, yes. at the yeah. beginning. Go back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house for a quick little, little whistle stop to her because I just couldn't help but laugh at him using the old term quesara, quesara, but he changes it to quesara, quesadilla. <laughs> because he's an idiot, of course. Uh, back on the set of Secretariat, Michael, call back to one of our favourite grumpy ladies in the show because you will find out that after the disaster that was Diane telling someone to watch out for that cable, we've now mm. got the croc lady from her house who was, when they did the shooting of Mr Peanut Butter's house in her house, yeah. who was giving her wrong and saying cast and crew only. She's mm. back. She's now working on the set of Secretariat, and she's still wearing her pair of Crocs. You'll be wow. pleased to know. Back in Vigor offices, again, we go to the meeting that Princess Carolyn has turned up at late, and you will notice a few things, yeah? On the on the uh, drawing board in the far corner of the room, there's a little note for an all-male reboot of Hocus Pocus. Which... <laughs> <laughs> no, it gets better. And the two titles that have been suggested are Hocus Brocus, which has been scribbled out, and below that is Brocus Pocus, <laughs> which is still obviously being decided upon. Put the men in the women. Like, yeah, put, put the men, the men in the women's film. Yeah, here's a great idea. Let's flip the concept. <laughs> uh, when Princess Carolyn is talking about uh, Ronnie Benito's clients, she says she thinks she's gotten in with all of the J's. She mentions Jude Law, J. Law, J. Leno, and J. Jay Abrams. <laughs> She's really got it together when it comes to this. But not as good, Michael, as this list of cast clients that she gets offered where Mr. Peanut Butter is only the very last one at the bottom, not scribbled out. Let me just read the names out here, see if you can connect the dots, shall we? We've got Sam Neill. We've got Laura Dern. We've got Jeff Goldblum. We've got Samuel L. Jackson. We've got Wayne Knight. And then at the very bottom, we've got Mr. Peanut Butter. But Michael, what do all those cast members have in common? 
Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Park. You've won the prize, which is more things on this list. Uh, we go back to Mr. Peanut Butter as he's having a stroll and trying to take life by the balls. He walks past a few interesting shops. One of the shops is called Black Mamba Juice, where you can get a bunch of things which are like they cost various amounts of money. You can get a cleanse, which will cost you $49.95. You can get a detox drink, which will cost you $89.95. Or you can just get a grape drink, which will cost you 50 cents, which would be nice. <laughs> but, of course, the big gag here, I'll say a little nod, shall we say, is Black Mamba Juice is, of course, in reference to Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, the Black Mamba himself. And the Black Mamba on the poster is, of course, a snake. Wonderful ah, stuff there. It's all, it's, all in the, it's all in the detail, Michael, mm. I'll tell you. There's also a wonderful bit where the Dalmatian fireman dog that we've seen previously is in the foreground and just having a stare down with Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. <laughs> Captain Dogs and all that kind of thing. There's also that poster that we see for the auditions, Michael. Interesting bit, this. Is it spelt wrong on purpose? I'll let you decide because it's it, it's spelt auditions. There's no second I. So either someone has drastically got that wrong or they've just written auditons. Was it not the placement of an additional I that got them out of all sorts of legal trouble a couple of episodes it was, ago. So perhaps the gag is was it the missing same from person? the jukebox and it's now missing from perhaps, everything else? Perhaps the same person has been writing these signs. The um, As we go back to this, well, on the set for, I've written here, I think this might be out of place, but I'll bring it up now anyway. Uh, on the set of Secretariat again, I noticed that one of the tech people on set is a deer, Michael. And as they walk past, it's only a glimpse, but they've got this little utility belt on and on the utility belt they've got this little what looks like a little red ball right and i'm not saying i'll let you all make your minds up on this one but i've got a feeling that that deer is essentially a reindeer which you can put that red nose on it which makes it rudolph i don't know if that's legit or, or relative at all but what i do think is that maybe it's the red light indicates that recording is happening while we're on set so every time the nose goes on the deer that's recording, and when it's taken off, it's put back in the pouch on the utility belt. That is me reading very into things, but I reckon that might be it, you know. Look, man, I just like that all year round, Rudolph's got a job that's actually unionised because he does far too many hours on Christmas Eve. It's true. So it's about time that he gets to, like, punch a clock in his normal hey, day. at the end know? of the day, at least he's grafting because the other guy's work, he's, like, working one day and he's just off 364 <laughs> days a year. Fly guy. We go to Lady Footlocker, actually inside this time, and on the on outside of Lady Footlocker, there's a guide dog person who's standing up and he's leading the blind man, which is just, I thought it was a nice nod. He's got the little vest on as well and just looks <laughs> utterly fed up with his day, to be honest. Um, the other shopping assistant inside Lady Footlocker is uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's mate, S. Lugo, which will be <laughs> abbreviated or put together, I guess, as Sluggo, because he's a slug, Michael. <laughs> And he moves very slow in the shop while he's doing all the things he's doing. Also, a little nod to all the brands of shoe in the shop. We get Timber Wolf. We get Under Otter instead of Under Armour. We get Newt Balance instead of New Balance. And we get Arm Adidas instead of Adidas, which, of course, an armadillo <laughs> sign instead. And there's also a girl who's in the store who's wearing glasses. Uh, and she, as we find out, is called Claire. She is actually another one of Bojack's dates from season two. Uh, from season two, episode two, sorry, where yeah. in that little date montage. I love so that. Yeah, lots of lots of attention to detail here. And speaking of attention to detail, Michael, can you remember in season one where there was the party it, when in the David Boreanaz episode? Yes. Everybody's around the house and it all goes a bit mad. 
And as it's being broken up, we there's that was an orangutan in a pair of jeans who had ripped the sink out and was just going mad at this party. Can you remember? Yeah, I can, yeah. Very vaguely. Well, as it happens, Michael, he seems to have turned his life around or maybe he was just off for the weekend because we go to Vigor offices and as Princess Carolyn gets in the lift with Hudeberger, we just get a quick glimpse of an orangutan swinging his way to the next part of his job wearing a blazer and indeed the blue jeans that he had on and the shoes. Wow. Same orangutan from the party. He's obviously just feeling a bit better this time around, I guess. Mm. JD Salinger's shop location next, and we got a bunch of little shops that are surrounded. We got the Taffy Giraffe, which is just <laughs> next to his shop. We also get the whale stalking to us, which I thought was great. <laughs> or instead of just whale watching. And there's a coffee spot, but also I love the name of um JD Salinger's store, which is called Joe Nobody's Shop for Tandem Bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> Very subtle indeed. Also, and this is a weird one, there's a car license plate, Michael that says MG4133. Now, I typed that in to Google just to see if anything came up. Mm-hmm. And I think this isn't a coincidence. You will find eventually, if you click through far enough, a company called Coral Graph, I think it is, who sell this tiger mug. It's a picture of a tiger that says tiger, and it's uh, it's just a mug with a tiger on it. <laughs> I just feel like this is something that Lisa Hannawalt would have or certainly have searched for and maybe have even been looking at when she's done this episode. Mm-hmm. And she's just put it in as part of someone's license plate. Wonderful stuff. And nice. I need, because because and somebody just, might look at it and buy that mug. Exactly. But um, there's also a couple outside of Joe Nobody's shop. And there's a person and a mosquito who are enjoying a little bit of time together while the mosquito sucks on the arm of his partner, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> um, inside Joe Nobody's shop, I thought the poster Salinger had was wonderful. Just J.D. Salinger with a tandem bicycle. And the tagline is... It's better to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is when you're selling tandem bicycles. Uh, back in Bojack's house, quick shot of the city, and we get a magazine. The magazine, it's clearly Todd's magazine, is called Couch Surfer Magazine. <laughs> because, of course, it is Todd needs all the tips he can get, despite the fact he's been doing it for some time. Inside mm-hmm. Bojack's house as well, I'm just going to bring this up now because it's happened throughout the episode, but a lovely rule of three gag out with Todd. Of course, he tried to come up with the idea of the bagel catcher, which was just a baseball mitt to catch bagels with. Well, when you first see Todd in Bojack's house during this domestic bliss, he's eating a bagel from the mitt. Lovely stuff, nice and simple. (laughs) Then we move on to the next time. He's eating nachos with cheese, which ends up getting pushed in his face by Bojack. By the end of it, he's just gone all out and he's just eating spaghetti bolognese out of this glove. (laughs) It just gets progressively messier and messier. And this is Todd as he shouts out, can't you see I've been acting out? (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful stuff from him. Um, There's a hardware store there, which I love this. We always see them change the names of stores to something clever. This one is just, it's literally just Lowe's hardware store, but as it says below, Lowe's, but like an animal version. (laughs) 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 Which is just so meta and so great. Uh, we get a cut to MBN Major Broadcast Network, which is, of course, where Wanda works. And you'll see a few shops below there in the establishment shop. One of them is called Big and Tall with Six Arms. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess there's more than just normal humans in this world, Michael. Yeah. And another store, more brilliantly named, Just Mop Handles. <laughs> everybody needs them. Everybody needs them, but nobody's talking about it. <laughs> um we go to Bojack's bedroom. Great gag, this. As you mentioned, the elephant in the room gag that we got, where mm-hmm. we get the reveal that there's an elephant in the room. But even better, Michael, one you might have missed, as the elephant walks out, Bojack quickly says to Wanda, 
He's never going to forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> so smart, of course. An elephant never forgets. Uh, in, Miss, in Princess Carolyn's office, last couple here, we're nearly there, Michael, we're nearly there. Uh, there are cat claw marks on her office chair, where she's obviously been so angry, she's been scratching at the chair. Uh, we see a shot of Ruda Baker's office. He's got a picture on his wall for anybody who is familiar with the Goodnight Moon children's books. The painting on the wall is the rabbit from Goodnight Moon, and he's tucked yeah. up in bed with the moon outside. And there's a little suggestion, Michael, not confirmed. Is Rudabega the rabbit from the book? Who knows? Because it's very similar, right. wearing a similar kind of stuff. I think there's definitely a nod there. Also, brilliantly, Princess Carolyn's office, two little things to note as we get that lovely shot of the two of them outside. Um, in her office, in the corner, tucked away, Michael, folded in half and stored away in the corner. What do you think it is? Please tell me it's the Bojack stand-up. It is the Bojack oh, cardboard cutout that has been chucked away because she's so sick of it. And I assume, so the sensor stops going off, it's been falling in half. <laughs> and, of course, we get Herb's ashes that are sitting there because of Princess course. Carolyn is Brilliant. the owner of those now because she knew him so well. <laughs> but other than that, finally, Christ almighty, we've reached the end, Michael. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> this is a very long podcast, and I hope you've all enjoyed that for what it was worth. But it's not over yet because despite that huge list of things, incredibly, maybe there's one last thing, and I swear to God, I'll show up about this podcast forever. I definitely have one. I know you have one. Would you let me go first or second this week? I'll go first, if that's all right. Um, yes, you certainly may. You alluded to Todd eating various forms of food and finding it increasingly difficult because he's got his catcher's mate, which he thought would be <laughs> great for a bagel, and then continues to be worse and worse and worse for all these food groups. Yeah. And in the review, we kind of talked about how Todd was the teenage boy in this like domestic bliss play version of the life that Bojack and Wanda are not really having. I thought it cannot have been an accident that in an episode, I mean, let's cut to the chase here, very, very focused on masturbation, that a teenage boy had a giant glove on his right hand throughout yeah. the entire episode. Todd playing that role, literally wearing a catcher's mitt, something, what does it do? It handles balls. It handles <laughs> like, balls. And catches it either, things. <laughs> it is either to protect him from fatal act, which we've been introduced to in this one, or it is simply to enhance the experience, maybe without wrapping something around your neck. There it was, the whole way through, the teenage boy with a with something that constantly draws the eyes to his right hand. Brilliant stuff, that. Yeah. Um, I, I have no doubt in my mind that that was on their minds when they were putting that in the episode as well. Who knew that catcher in the rye gag will get so much out of it? <laughs> but, Michael, we might as well go with what you just said and stick to that theme. Uh, oh, Ugh, Because I would be remiss, Michael, if I didn't come up with this list at your request, I should point out. Yes, this was please. Michael Hamflin, who didn't beg me, but asked me politely to do this. So I have. And I thought we'd finish with something funny, because <laughs> this is the collective list of all the things that are used to reference... Autoerotic asphyxiation <laughs> in this episode. And there are some absolute corkers in here. So I'm just going to try and get through this. And okay. oh, God, I'm getting flashbacks to the chickens already. Oh. <laughs> we have, <clears throat> in no particular order, Strangle the Dirty Dangle <laughs> is the first one. We also have the Blue Faced Blast Off. <laughs> We have the strokey chokey. <laughs> we have the two neck squeeze. Oh, oh God. Oh, I know. 
The one hand on the Adam's apple, the other one's on the Adam's banana. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I had to stop and uh, pause. Take a minute have, before I go back to I my know. nose. God. We have the hardcore Gasper. <laughs> we have we have the one that's only really aided by Corduroy Jackson Jackson's um, hand gesture that he makes. We have the rolling the dice. Yeah, very good. We have oh, of the two, man. Of course, because he you rolls a seven. He rolls a seven, of course. Uh, we also get the old gasp and goo. Oh, 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 God. And finally, Bojack's own, which he proudly comes up with, do the funky Spider-Man. <laughs> He's so pleased with that, isn't he, as well? <laughs> which he says, obviously, because, you know, when you, you do your hand and it comes, even he goes into detail on it and it's just completely unnecessary. But those, Michael, are all of the ways that you can describe this autoerotic asphyxiation. What has come into your mind? Can I have one last thing, not just about this podcast, but about last week's? Yes, a, you may. A key, a key theme in last week's episode was choking a chicken. It was choking a chicken. They were telling us all along, Michael. Oh, they were telling us all along. We, listen, this has already gone way too long. I can't start talking about chickens again. What I can do, though, oh. is... Do all this little, little last little plugs and run us onto the home stretch of this podcast. Yeah, Thank please. you for sticking with us this time. Um, if you've enjoyed this, <laughs> I guess, then as always, you can find us on social media. Please do, if you've got any comments to make, even if it's this podcast too long, you go into too much detail. Why does that guy keep talking about choking the chicken? Well, <laughs> you can do that at Podcast Horseman on both Twitter and Instagram. Please do keep that up. We've enjoyed the community so far. And long may it continue. You can also, if you really feel like it, follow either of your hosts on Twitter at Adam Nicholas, at It's Adam Nicholas for me. Sorry, I'm so exhausted by all this. And if you want to follow Michael Hamflit, you can find him at Michael Hamflit. And we are a lot like autoerotic asphyxiation because, like, it might kill you, but you'll enjoy yourself along the way. So, you know, it's okay. Um, <laughs> and if you've got yeah. any lemons, Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Just take the acidity of it. Um, you can, of course, listen to this podcast. If you are still listening now, please tell your friends, maybe not about this episode, but about several of the other ones. Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can follow along on Spotify. You can listen on Acast. You can listen on Stitcher. Pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast at this point. Thankfully, you can also find Podcast Horseman. Um, we'd love you to subscribe, if you would, on Apple Podcasts. It gets us up the charts. It gets people talking about the podcast. It gets people talking themselves horse about that talking horse. And if you leave us a five-star review with a few words in there they can be nice they can be nasty we don't care we will read them out on this podcast and induct you into the hollywood talk of fame which is exactly what we're doing this week for demo s who brilliantly and i promise we have not saved this one for this date has titled his review what culture stars and celebrities what do they know do they know things thank you very much demo s you've left us five stars he has said the answer is yes if talking about cartoon horses <laughs> For the longest time, I've been a mark for the wrestling podcasts and YouTube channels of What Culture, but now they're doing a podcast on one of my favourite, highly acclaimed and still underrated TV shows. I'm over the moon. Underrated is right. The episodes are super insightful and catch a lot of the stuff I miss first time around. See, these lists of these giant wanking jokes are valuable. Good. Adam, and I, Adam and Michael's passion for the show comes through in each episode. It's a credit to the lads. <laughs> As I said to a young William S. Hart, these two will go far. <laughs> thank you so much for that Brilliant. demo the star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame well earned and winging its way to you on the socials sometime soon 
Very good. Now, I'd normally try to put some waffle in here. We're running over, so I'm just going to dive straight into the Netflix synopsis, Michael Hamflin. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 7 is up next, and this one, for anybody who's been paying attention, is called Hank After Dark, all about Hank Hippopotamus, or whatever the hell we call him. <laughs> <laughs> He's up next, and as the description will tell you, Diane goes off script during Bojack's book tour, jeopardising Mr. Peanut Butter's new show. Todd gets involved in international affairs. That all sounds very exciting and intriguing, mm. but as always, Michael, they're going to have to wait till next week to find out all about it. Until then, though, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflit. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mm.